Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This Saturday, the I don't know what's the date today. I the, believe it's the twenty ninth. The twenty ninth, twenty eighth. Okay, it's some. It's like the last Saturday in、um, August, folks. So that's the date. I'm glad we got that out of the it, way. It's Saturday twenty. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna. I'm James Barry, and I'm Pierre Morrow, and it's a beautiful sunny day out out there. So、um, welcome to everyone waking up in、uh, Melbourne, Australia. I don't know where else in the world、uh, what the weather is, but it's nice here. Do、so. you remember when I made you that special sting for Pierre's weather report? Because that's correct. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Because、uh, you know, sometimes these young people they don't know which way the wind is going. Well, or neither do you. Basically, you get on air and you say it's lovely out there. The weather is nice, and that is Pierre's weather report. I say it's sunny, it's beautiful. Anyway, obviously,、um, Giselle's got off, off the、uh, out of bed on the wrong side and decided that to,、uh, you know, to, well,、uh, welcome to Saturday mornings, Pierre. That's right, that's right. Anyway, <laughs> you're, you are listening to、um, Asia Pacific Currents on.、Uh, On 3CR radio, and and、uh, James was、uh, having a good cackle at the back there, on that. But we'll leave that. And、um, of course,、uh, APC is brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. And Giselle, how do people get in contact with AWL? That's right. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's dot aawl dot org dot au. You can email us at aawl at aawl dot org dot au. I am now checking those emails again, so please keep your emails coming. Um, and we're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms. Fantastic, fantastic, and、um, of course, thanks to Solidary Breakfast and to Annie for another very good and interesting program. And that uh, uh, music a bit loud, but that's fine. Some people might have enjoyed that.、Um, Thank you, going, Grandpa. And、uh, thanks for that,、uh, Grasshopper.、Um, you're going to miss me by. I can't actually read my own right. Birdman, I think that's it. <laughs> Radio Birdman. Radio Birdman. Thank what, you very much. It's the, oh, that was the、uh, the track. That、Got、was、it. the track.、Yep. So、Sorry, thank I'm you. Following, I'm following the show so far. That's right. That's right. So it's good that people are on 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 cue here and actually got some、uh, real social knowledge and not like. Me that, that obviously just spends the、uh, too much time on the internet looking at all these、um, labour news items, and so what have we got on today's show, Giselle? Well, actually, what we're trying to do, listeners, is bring you a story about the resignation of the Malaysian Prime Minister and then the Sultan's appointment of. Another prime minister without an election, supposedly because of COVID,、um, but that prime minister was appointed from the、um, oppositional political party called UMNO. Although UMNO had previously been in power for sixty years in Malaysia, that is a story we're still trying to bring you. But what actually we're going to do in the second part of the show, Pierre, is we're going to look at、um, the COVID situation across the region.、Um, And try and develop an understanding, firstly, of how much of the region is in lockdown, how much,、um, how 
much Delta is spreading in the region and also what the vaccination rates are. And I think there will be a pattern emerging once we look at um, a few parts of the region that way. All right. That sounds uh, interesting and um, we'll certainly see how workers have been faring and will be faring in the next year coming. So we'll go straight to the news items. Um, who's got the first one? So uh, in Myanmar, over 1,000 people have been killed by the military. The Human Rights Group, the Assistance for, the, for Political Prisoners, this week stated that the confirmed toll of anti-coup protesters by the military junta in Myanmar had topped 1,000 deaths. Many of these deaths are believed to have happened in the many detention centres and prisons that are holding many thousands of anti-coup protesters. As reported previously on this program, the economic, political and military opposition to the military government is continuing, in continuing to put pressure on the junta and preventing the stabilisation of the coup. In actual fact, reports are increasingly coming out that point to ongoing desertions from the rank and file of the Myanmar military. An opposition group has claimed that up to 2,000 defected military personnel have now joined the Civil Disobedience Movement, or CDM, and are active in fighting the government. So um, it seems very much going to, to uh, ever greater civil conflict and civil war there. Um, another uh, place where it's in uh, conflict, we go to Palestine, where on Tuesday of this week, Imad Khaled Saleh Hashash, a 15-year-old boy, was killed in a refugee camp next to the West Bank town of Nablus. Uh, Hashash died from a bullet wound to his head following an Israeli military operation against activists who had been protesting against land theft by the Israeli government. Um, and these uh, protests are, um, are, are very extensive these days in the West Bank. In a separate incident on both Wednesday and Thursday of this week, scores of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip were injured by Israeli military fire. The Palestinians have increasingly been demonstrating at the border areas with Israel, calling for an end to the crippling blockade of the Gaza Strip by Israel. And AAWL is organising an international meeting to actually confront the question, how do we win in Palestine? What does it take? What organisational formation across the Middle East, across the world, um, would it take to actually progress the struggle? It's being held on Saturday the 25th of September at 4 o'clock Melbourne Victoria time uh, and we'll get details out about that uh, but we have speakers from right across the region and it's not going to be your regular um, speech and question and answer time. We're actually going to facilitate a debate as best we can amongst the pan panellists and to whatever degree is possible with um, the participants in the meeting. Uh, so <clears throat> moving to our next story, in India, women health workers are taking action. Tens of thousands of women community health workers have been engaging protests in different parts of India, demanding better pay, welfare and protection from COVID-19. This workforce is locally referred to as the ASHA workers, the accredited social health activists. And they've been instrumental in bringing healthcare to hundreds of millions of poor Indians. Originally, the ASHA were not paid, but through industrial action over the last two decades, they're becoming salaried workers. Just reminds me of my favourite group of workers, the Anganharad workers, who are also women. 
Nevertheless, this pandemic has highlighted their vulnerable status, both economically and health-wise. Many ASHA workers have died from contracting COVID-19 when working, while many are left destitute as they recover from the effects of the illness but are unable to work, what's commonly being called the long COVID. The latest protests in the states of Maharashtra and Andhra Pradesh have seen workers demanding better OHS protection as well as better welfare payments. Moving to Korea now, where workers are taking to the streets. This week, thousands of workers employed by the Hyundai conglomerate held a demonstration outside the factory gate to protest at the company's intransigence during negotiations. The main sticking points of the negotiation are around subcontracting, insecure employment contracts and wages. In a separate dispute, workers at South Korea's largest shipper, HMM, are involved in an increasingly bitter dispute with the company. The dispute is not with the land-based dock workers, but with the estimated 500 seafarers that sail HMM ships around the world. This week, the workers voted to go on strike and also investigate the option of switching employment to a rival Swiss-based company. The workers are angry at the paltry wage increase being offered to them after a six-week wage freeze. And of course, in the last 18 months with COVID-19, um, the, the work uh, situation for a lot of these seafarers all around the world has become uh, quite brutal as many of them uh, can't get off ships, they can't get into port and they uh, can't go on- home. Yeah, they can't go home and actually work for 6, 10, 12, even longer months on on the ships. Um, And there's been a lot of suicides, as as someone once told me, in the middle of the ocean, um, no one tells. Jesus. That's right. Um, We now go to here in Australia and we're looking at the situation of refugees because last Thursday, the 26th of August, was the 20th anniversary of what became known as the Tampa Affair or the Tampa Incident and um, has been a pivotal moment in regards to refugee politics in Australia. On that day off the northwest coast of Australia near Christmas Island, the MV Temper, a Norwegian freighter, rescued 433 asylum seekers from a sinking vessel. This re- rescue was exploited by the incumbent Conservative Australian government to call in the Navy, create a political crisis and subsequently win a general election later that year. This manufactured crisis gave rise to an even more hardline border policies that have indelibly shifted the response to boat arrivals and led to the creation of offshore and onshore concentration camps for asylum seekers an issue that we've widely reported over the last 20 years on this program. In addition, successive governments have created a complex web of visas and regulations that keep asylum seekers in a state of uncertainty for years and years. Nevertheless, a large section of the Australian community has fought against these policies for the last two two decades with protest actions, vigils and protests, a common occurrence in Australian cities. And in Japan, overtime still remains at critical levels. A recent government survey has found that while paid and unpaid overtime has decreased by over 10% in the last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, rates continue to be extraordinarily high. The research found that almost 40% of workers were working overtime without a proper labour agreement covering this practice or the amount of overtime exceeding the limits specified in their arrangement. 
It also found that 12% of workers were doing 80 hours of overtime per month, while around 1% were actually clocking up 150 hours of overtime per month. It was unclear from the survey how much of this overtime was actually paid. In addition, the government inspections took place at workplaces from which they'd received employee reports of excessive overtime or already had reason to suspect wrongdoing was taking place. This self-reporting bias indicates that the rate of overtimes would likely have been higher if all companies had been included. And of course, uh, Japan and and South Korea too, um, among the first parts of the region and the world, I think, who coined the phrase death by overwork. And while this story wasn't about that, that issue, that idea, not even the idea, the reality that workers can die from working too much and not resting enough is slowly taking hold, I think, across across the world. That's right. That's right. And um, I don't know about in South Korea, but certainly in, in Japan, they've coined the new word karoshi. Uh, which actually literally means dying from overwork. Uh, That's the end of the news uh, roundup for today. Um, It's just on 13 past nine o'clock. We'll go to a committee announcement and then we'll be back here to discuss about uh, COVID-19 in the region and workers. The Maritime Union of Australia is pleased to announce the Struggles That Made Us poster design prize. With a five grand first prize, the MUA is calling for submissions of a poster or artwork that addresses or is inspired by the struggles, events or historical figures amongst Australian maritime workers. The winning design will be launched on May Day 2022 and featured in a special May Day edition of Overland magazine. So get amongst it, people. Jump online and search for MUA Design Prize to enter. The Maritime Union of Australia is a proud 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. Fifteen minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. Comrades, um, we had a a little look in the region at what was happening in relation to COVID transmission and um, vaccinations and the situation for workers. Um, And I thought there's no better place to start right now than the world's epicentre, which is Indonesia, not very far from where we are. And of course, you know, Australia, which is working on, well, it's divided actually. Some states are working on getting down to zero while others are talking about uh, a need to live with the virus. Um, So Indonesia in the last week recorded more than 100,000 deaths over the period of the pandemic. So um, it it was a milestone. It was there are only a handful of countries in the world that have recorded that many deaths. Um, Jakawi is talking about striking a balance between health and opening up the economy while his country is the epicentre of the pandemic. Again, In the last week, 
community mobility in Jakarta, the most popular city of, of Indonesia, uh, is at pre-COVID levels. There is slow vaccine rollout. There's a higher vaccination rate in cities versus rural areas, which is understandable, but also a consistent theme across the world. And there is um, strikingly low confidence in um, the president and in the government. I would actually say... Um, Indonesia's unstable at the moment. There's growing protests there. The anti-worker laws, which were rammed through last year or the year before, are taking its toll on people. But that's what we're seeing in Indonesia. Uh, in uh, the western, in the eastern part of Indonesia, in the province of West Papua, uh, there is seemingly a reversal of the situation of opening up, where there are large amounts of lockdowns, and this is seen as primarily politically motivated to prevent political activity rather than helping the health of the community there. West Papua also has the lowest rate of vaccination in the whole of Indonesia. It's 6% from the last reports that I saw. Um, And as this is happening, so uh, mining is still continuing. It's still growing. Mines are still being planned to be opened and put online in the next couple of years. The same in Papua New Guinea, in particular gold. Before you run run away from... um West Papua, I do want to say this. I mean, firstly, I'll I'll declare that I am pro-lockdown. I'm pro the slowing down of movement um, while the pandemic is raging. I think that the workers' movement actually needs to make bigger and stronger demands for um, financial security and stability while people are being locked up and also you know, demands around housing and income, etc. But in relation to, to if you look at what is happening in most of Indonesia and then in comparison to West Papua, I actually think there is a strong argument for the restrictions placed in the province of West Papua being politically motivated if we look at the comparison that I just um, that we just saw. So community mobility in Jakarta is at pre-COVID levels while West Papuans are being locked down. There is a mine in that area that we know is a significant part of Indonesia's occupation of that land. I, I, you know, despite being pro-lockdown, I, I think the West Papuans argument is probably true. Yeah, uh, and that that goes to show that these things are never so simple black and white, particularly when they're applied in one way to one group of people and, and a different way to the rest of the population. Um, with with uh, mining in, in the whole island of Papua, in Papua New Guinea and West Papua, Gold has become a new area where, or a renewed area where there's um, there are mines that are going to be coming online in the next couple of years. Partially because since the pandemic, the gold price has gone up as production has gone down. The gold price is now going down, but the planning for these mines has already taken place. The Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea, uh, James Marape, has been very open to. Uh, pushing more gas projects and more uh, mining projects in Papua New Guinea over the past year or so, whereas the trade union organisations of Papua New Guinea have mostly been talking about issues such as the no jab, no pay, no jab, no um, job uh, issues, trying to prevent forced vaccinations. I I think what uh, you both uh, have talked about is the the difference and how you you see it and the, the pandemic. And I think... I think what we've seen is uh, really um, the effects of the pandemic. It's always on on workers, um, and I don't think. And I have to say, 
Look, it's a bit of a circular argument because I think the working class movement is actually weak all around the world. And so what this pandemic has shown is our weakness because, like you said, uh, Giselle, we haven't been able to make those arguments in any coherent fashion and to push it that, yes, we'll stay home if you basically pay us. Uh, I mean, we saw um, last year in India that it went in a, in a strict lockdown. Well, literally hundreds, if not thousands, of workers starved to death. Um, and we're now seeing in Malaysia that we just said we're going to talk about it more, hopefully, in the next few weeks, where people are, are running out of food. And, I mean, I don't know who brought it up, but I think it's, it's so symbolic that if you're really desperate, you put a white flag up on, on, your, on your front door to say, I need help. Well, Malaysia's situation is, a, is interesting because they have been in strict lockdown since May, but they're also continuing to record their highest daily COVID transmission since that time. Now, again, I'm pro-lockdown, so I think something else is going on in Malaysia and it's very hard to understand what that is and quite possibly the issue is compliance for the reasons that you talked about, that people are in their homes starving and going mental because housing and space is different um, in Malaysia and across Asia. So, um, you know, when people are confined to even smaller spaces without the ability to leave, um, there, there are mental health repercussions for that. But also, I mean, in a in amidst that growing daily trans, um, transmission rates and the strict lockdown since May the economy is collapsing, there's an economic fallout. We, As I said earlier, the Prime Minister's resigned. That There's a political crisis as well. I would put this in a category of unstable as well. I don't think Malaysia's population has the same history, memory and organisation to um, take to the streets the way that they can in Indonesia, but I, I would also say Malaysia is uh, pretty unstable. From the little information I got from Malaysia, it seems there's... Um Part of it is the compliance because also Malaysia is um, quite, a, shall I say, unequal society and there's racial uh, ethnic differences. And I think the compliance and also how the messaging has been quite all over the, the shop. And so a lot of people see that some people don't do it, some people do. And I think over months, this has really degraded the whole message. Um, and on that point of what people have said about the uh, people not having resources, I think um, I was talking to some friends from Thailand and um, they basically said that part of the rising uh, cases in Thailand, which they did really well last year, is that people have uh, eaten into the reserves, the, the poorer working class sectors. So now they can't stay home anymore. Mm-hmm. They have to work, they've got to move, they've got to walk walk out. And I think this is also now creating political instability in, in, in Thailand. And I think, again, it, it's our... I mean, Thailand's pretty unstable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> but it's this, actually recreated, yeah. it repushed. And I, and I think it, it comes back to the fact that um, lockdowns, if you've got the resource, if you can work from home, you've got a nice house... Uh, enough computers for your kids, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh yes, you go. Yeah, lockdowns. Why don't you all stay home? But for a lot of people, especially for working class, the poorer sections, that is only a very temporary uh, alternative. Unless there's lots of other 
uh, things be put in place. And just to add to that, there's also a hierarchy amongst different nation states within the system. So uh, to give an example, Fiji in the Pacific uh, it has a very good vaccination rate because it's preparing to open up for Qantas flights. Qantas has declared it to be the number one priority country. And the Fijian government sees this as a solution to their problem because they have the issue that people who know Fiji would understand that many of the Itaukai, the indigenous population, live in villages on islands. They travel to places like Suva and Nandi for work. There's no work. They go back. That's been spreading COVID. And they've been trying to tell people to stay in their islands. But the pressure on the island is we haven't got any food here. Go out and earn. There's no, nothing here. Come back. So their rates are going down because they are one of the most vaccinated countries mm. in the Pacific. 92% have had a first dose as of the last couple really? of days. Really? 92%? 92% of the target population. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, compared to Papua New Guinea, which is less than 5%, uh, to Solomons and Vanuatu, barely nothing. The only other country that stands close is Tonga, and Tonga has managed to succeed in not having COVID outbreaks. But Fiji is having this priority and this attention, uh, unlike other Pacific nations, because of the tourism, the tourism side of things, and Qantas and, and Australia's interest. I, th- I think what you said about the people going from island to island, I, I think it- it's an excellent point. And again, it sort of gets lost in the um, in the debate. Often, you go, "Well, we can't tell them to stay in the islands because they're going to slowly starve." Mm-hmm, that's right. I want to um, mention Japan before, uh, while we've yeah. still got time because uh, there was much debate and discussion in the media about whether those Olympic Games should have continued. Um, what we are seeing is that in the last week, trans daily tr- infection rates have soared to 20,000 per day and that's five times what they were at the end of July when the Olympics started. So over four weeks for yeah so that's about four weeks um daily infections have increased five times so i i I mean the reasons for that are i would say the olympics and and the delta variant but uh, i think that in the final analysis those those olympics should not have gone ahead look i actually am not too sure i'll be controversial here i'm actually not too sure I, i stand to be corrected but I haven't seen any um, analysis to say the Olympics contributed to that. So you may be right, but um, I think it's too early to call. Like you know, like the elections are not too early to call here. And but the interesting thing about Japan, um, it's actually like somewhat historical that the governments, when they actually go, it's a state of emergency because of its past don't actually have the the legal abilities they're all recommendations um and i think also in um in japan uh, you know it'd be interesting to drill down because again it was a country that was very very good at the start to keep numbers down but they've actually been slowly increasing and now they're really increasing so you wonder about you know the whole fatigue factor about the messaging about you know we talked about the overwork you know the overtime of Japanese workers, you know, how do all these over time accumulate all these issues? I, again, just want to get this in there before we end the show. James talked about the high vaccination rate of PNG, was it? No, Fiji. Fiji. Um, There's another country in the region that has a high vaccination rate, which is Vietnam. So Vietnam has, well, it has a high... So the point that I'm making here is that where are these vaccinations coming from for these countries? 
And we know about the appalling PR uh, job that was done on AstraZeneca. So Australia's donated 1.5 million doses to Vietnam and the Fiji um, vaccination doses do come from Australia too. So if anybody's wondering what it, where, the, you know, this factory in Melbourne that is putting out a million doses a week or whatever it's doing, where those doses are going, they are going to the region and uh, is a part of why the region does have in some parts, um, higher vaccination rates. Interestingly, Cambodia, Cambodia is receiving its vaccines from China and they've got 10 million uh, fully vaccinated of their population on a population of 17 million. That's it's pretty pre- good. That's pretty good, pretty good. And I have to, look, I'll, I'll have to confess, I actually did get AstraZeneca and I'm still here. <laughs> and I totally agree with you. I think the, the PR exercise in Australia around the AstraZeneca vaccine will go down in history as a classic case of how not to do public health. <laughs> and in the end, I think... Look, the the silver lining is that all these other countries are getting a very good vaccine much quicker than they otherwise would have got. So, you know, uh, at least there is at least they're not being thrown away. You know, yeah, exactly. that's the best thing that can be said. And I think, you know, in terms of um, oh, it's we've got to yes, go. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Time to go. <laughs> Were you about to launch into another topic? Otherwise, I was going to say about after the pandemic, but we'll have to keep I will save that for next week. That's right. All right. It's, uh, we've got about 30 seconds to, to go. Um, you've been listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio. We'll be back next week. Stay tuned for Palestine Remembered. Um, my name is Pierre Morrow. I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm James Barry. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.